Are you a creative or have the urge to find your creativity? Do you want to break out of the expected, view things in a different way, and unearth the unseen? The Ford Creative Podcast explores different creative concepts or hobbies every week. My name is Scott Banco. I'm an entrepreneur, podcast producer, and on the Ford Creative Podcast, we'll help you gain that ability to monetize your creative passions, help you find your creative community, and grow your individual creativity. Thank you so much for being part of this journey, and I look forward to helping you find those creative passions within On the podcast today, Nick Hutchinson. He is the CEO and founder of Book Thinkers Marketing Agency. Nick's new book is debuting November 1st, 2023, Rise of the Reader, Strategies for Mastering Your Reading Habits and Applying What You Can Learn in Launching. Okay. Thanks so much for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Like I, like I was telling you offline, I'm an open book. I'm happy yeah, to talk so. about anything that you want to talk about. So I want to talk about, you know, I know you're you lo- average reader. You love a lot of books. You're connecting with a lot of other authors and writers. I'm a music guy. So what's currently on your playlist right now that you're listening to that's been on the go with you? That's really been a big inspiration in your work. Well, we just had the chance to host our first ever author meetup in Columbus, Ohio, on the front side of the Lewis Howes event. And one of the guys that we were able to feature was the founding drummer of Maroon 5. His oh. name's Ryan Dusick. And so when I was growing up, I loved Maroon 5. And the album Songs About Jane was something that was important to me when I was younger. And then being able to sit on stage with Ryan and interview him for our audience for like an hour is the coolest experience. And so I've been reliving that album for the last couple of weeks. And it's just on repeat all the time. You know, I'm I'm more of like a hip hop rap guy. But when I think about the music that I grew up with, and I love yeah. to tap back into it, it includes a lot of like Maroon 5, Coldplay, U2, that type of stuff. What's your favorite Maroon 5 song? You got to pick one. <sighs> That's a great question. Probably the, the first song on that album, Songs About Jane, is called Harder to Breathe. And That's yeah, a it's a song. jam. It always gets me going. That's a good one. That's a good one. I What's the one where he's on the plane taking off? It's like in the music video. That's a, I, I forget the name of it. It's a good one. Yeah, but that, that album, my all-time favorite is the Goo Goo Dolls. So I've always been a big fan of the Goo Goo Dolls rock and roll and just uh, songwriting. So I can definitely relate with the commonalities of music. I want to dive into your book here and talk about your new book that came out. Tell me how that writing process got started. Yeah, so my community, mostly on Instagram, BookThinkers, the BookThinkers family, there's about 150,000 nonfiction readers in our community. And over the years, so many people reached out to me and they'd say, hey, Nick, I appreciate all of the book recommendations. Thank you. But how the heck do we take what we're learning and apply it? Mm. So for most people, they read these books, they get excited, they're inspired, they're motivated, they want to take action, but nothing happens. Like what's the missing piece there? Mm-hmm. And it's strategies for effectively implementing these books. So I would always answer people, provide feedback, provide recommendations, suggestions, tell everybody my strategies. But I knew I needed to write the book on taking action. And so that's what I've decided to do. I started the process about three years ago. I thought because I'm a pretty disciplined person in most areas of my life that I could just sit down for an hour a day and write the book in a couple of months. That mm-hmm. did not happen. Like I just mentioned, it took me three years, but The result is something that people can read and they can use the strategies that I teach to get more out of the other books they're reading, the podcasts they're listening to, the courses they go through. It's about information implementation. So how do we implement better strategies for readers? Oh, I mean, there's so many. I'll give you an example. Sometimes when I meet people at a conference or 
yeah. on social media, I'll say, hey, Scott, what are you reading? And you'll tell me. And then I'll say, why? And mm. he'll be like, what do you mean, why? Well, why are you reading the books you're reading? So I think one of the first things that we need to do is set an intention mm-hmm. for each book that we read. And your intention or your goal for each book should follow the SMART goal framework. Right. So it should be specific, measurable, attainable. It should be relevant to your life or your business. And it should be time bound. You should give yourself a deadline. So when I'm reading, let's just say a book on communication, okay. I'm not just going to read it and hope that it changes my life. I'm going to set a goal. And that goal might look like this. Find and implement at least two strategies for improving my communication by the end of September. And I'll write that on the inside cover of the book and review it each and every time that I read a few more pages so that my brain can start to filter for those two items to take action on. So that's an example of one of the strategies that I teach in the book, setting an intention for each book that you read. Is that kind of like with the reticular activation system, like RES, like you start seeing it everywhere, those words manifesting in front of you? Yes, absolutely. So for those in your audience that aren't familiar with the concept, the reticular activation system in your brain, the RAS, sits at the bottom of your brainstem and it helps you filter information because we receive all of these inputs to our brain, but we can only focus our attention on so many things at once. And so the popular concept is yellow car. Now that I've said yellow car, if you're listening to this in the car, you probably see one and you're like, oh yeah, I just manifested that. Well, it was always there, but now you're filtering for it. Same thing with these books. They have the opportunity to change your life and you need to filter for the actions that you can implement that will help you do that. What was one book that changed your life at a young age that you know inspired you to what you're doing today? Well, I was not much of a reader growing up at all, (laughs) not until my late teens, early 20s, actually my early 20s. So I'll tell everybody the story. I took an internship going into my senior year of college at a local software company. And like I said, I was not a reader prior to this, but my boss at the time, Kyle, shout out Kyle, he's a great guy. He said something along the lines of, Listening to the same song on your commute here for the 1,000th time is not going to get you closer to where you want to be in life, Right. but the right podcast might. So I started listening to shows just like this, where a host would interview a series of guests and the guests would talk about what they did to become successful. My commute was an hour each way. So I was crushing Mm. podcasts and a number of these people who were being interviewed gave at least some credit for their success to the books they were reading. So I think what happened for me was just like, I realized if I'm deliberately choosing not to read these books, then I'm deliberately choosing to live under my potential. And so the first book I read was Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki because great book. it was just, yeah, it was just talked about on so many of those shows. I was like, I need to see what's up with this. Like, what's the secret sauce here? And it's mm. an amazing book. Yeah, I, I love his story too about like how he's from Hawaii and his dad like taught him, you know, like business, like his two different dads and one of them, you know, didn't really have the money mindset and uh, learning from your mentors. Was there a mentor earlier on in your path as an entrepreneur that really inspired you? Yeah, there there were a ton of people over time, but I'll tell you what, I think the best mentors have been the books behind me. So right. I like to say my favorite mentors are Steve Jobs, 
my favorite mentors, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, right? All of the big and popular names, a little tongue in cheek, but yeah, you know what? My parents were great. I grew up in an amazing household. We were given all of the opportunities in the world. I had very supportive and loving parents. And, you know, as I took that first software internship, Kyle, my boss at the time, he became a big mentor in my life as well. And so, yeah, I definitely have in-person mentors. A lot of the people I interview on the podcast, I attempt to develop a relationship with them. And so those people like Lewis, they, they mentor me. But yeah, I think most of the value, man, they come, it comes right from these books. That's where it's yeah. at for me. I mean, I'll share you a true story. I had a DUI in my mid-20s, my second one. It really changed my whole life. Uh, I talked about it on my show a little bit, struggling with alcohol. I've recently gotten sober, so that was a big change that I had made in my life. And that book I've been rereading again, Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins. A mentor had given me that book early on. That book changed my life. Just about unlocking like your true greatness, you know, into the world. I don't know. I don't know if you wanted to touch on that a little bit. Oh yeah, listen, I've read that book for sure. I actually yeah. I listened to it first. And I remember yeah. something he says in that book is is people are motivated, they seek pleasure and they avoid pain. And mm-hmm. you know, now when now that I've read a lot of these books, I realize like what motivates me is very aligned with what Tony talks about in that book. I'm I'm trying to optimize for enjoying the passage of time. And that happens by doing things that bring me joy and fulfillment and avoiding things that suck my energy and cause me pain. And so, yeah, I think one way to awake, awake your giant, right. Is by doing more of what you love. Like they say that your purpose comes from your pain. And if you can serve a younger version of yourself mm-hmm. who's struggling with something that you've overcome, that's where it's all at. Were there moments in your time where you struggled as an entrepreneur or you felt like giving up starting, you know, book thinkers? Tell me about that journey, like the challenges you faced as an entrepreneur. Oh yeah. <laughs> 1000%. You know, in the E-Myth, in the E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber, one of the best business books of all time, he says in the beginning that 95% of small businesses fail in the first five years. Hmm. And that's typically because they run out of money. So it's a little different about my journey is that when I started Book Thinkers, I had a full-time job. So a couple of my friends and I, we decided we would like to build a mobile application that could help readers retain and implement more from the books they're reading. Long story short, we spent tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of hours of our time, and it never came to fruition. It was never successful. And so that was a big failure, man. I'm in my early 20s. I'm spending all of my money and all of my free time on this thing. Yeah. And it just doesn't work. We tried to outsource everything to a company in Argentina. They went in a different direction. Mm. We didn't have anybody that was in tech on our team. Yeah. And it just sort of fizzled out. So, man, that, that failure took place over the course of a couple of years. And so <laughs> that was sort of the big, the first big L that I experienced. And there have been plenty since then. That's for sure. Well, those setbacks, they set you up for future success, you know, compounding over time and learning from those failures and learning how to adapt and pivot. After that failure and loss, were there any more setbacks after that? Or is it just, you know, things went forward or with your business? No, listen, there were tons and tons and tons of setbacks. You know, we attempted to build another mobile application that didn't work. You know, I did with a different business partner. We attempted other forms of monetization, such as masterminds, such as in-person events, paid book clubs. I mean, none of it worked. But here's the thing. I was connected to a purpose. I was connected to a mission. I knew that the right book at the right time could change somebody's life. 
And so I decided I'm going to stick to this. And I've learned that success and failure are the same road. You just have to persevere a little bit farther. It's that idea that you're always three feet from gold, like just keep chopping away. And so something that's unique about my story, Scott, that I don't hear a lot of people admit is that I had a full-time job while I built this business. And I kept that full-time job even after I hired my first employees. Mm. BookThinkers had its first multiple $100,000 a year of revenue, and I still was working a full-time job. And that's because I didn't want to operate from a place of scarcity. I didn't want to compromise on my value, discount my services. I wanted to build from a place of certainty and sort of minimize risk. And so for a long time, I was actually insecure about that. You know, I was being called an entrepreneur, but I had a full-time job on the side. And uh, it took me a while to get over that. Now I use that as an example for people because you don't have to quit your job and go all in. That mm. works for some people. But remember, 95% of small businesses fail in the first five years because exactly. they run out of money. And I didn't want that to be me. Do you recommend entrepreneurs, you know, after your successes you've had with book thinkers to save at least six months of income before launching fully into their business and then taking the leap and building a paper airplane on the way down? <laughs> so, Yeah, I've heard it said this way. Don't build your parachute on the way down, build your parachute and then make the jump. And I think a great example of a parachute could be a six month emergency fund plus cash flowing business, right? You don't want to just jump in and start spending and be negative on day one. I think not only should you have your emergency fund, but you Mm -hmm. should build a business that's producing revenue and then make that jump in an ideal scenario. And by the way, so many legends of entrepreneurship didn't do it that way. That's just what worked for me. Do you think it's easier to outsource nowadays with everything online, the internet, all these different social media platforms? What what processes in place does an entrepreneur need to create to run a successful business? Yes, I do think it's easier to outsource today, probably easier than any other time in human history, given the technology that's available and, and sort of the, you know, being able to hire people in other countries and things like that. You know, the books that I've used to create the systems in my business that allow us to delegate efficiently. A lot of them come from just a couple of books. I mentioned one already, The E-Myth Revisited by Michael E. Gerber Mm -hmm. and The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. What an amazing book. That was another one of those books that totally changed my life. Not only did it help me design the business of my dreams, but it also helped me realize that you can automate, delegate, or eliminate all of those low-impact, repetitive activities that sometimes you know, create a bottleneck within a business. And also here's the other thing people don't talk about a lot, like energy is relative. And so what sucks my energy and drains Mm -hmm. my energy, and I just want off my chest that brings somebody else energy. And so if you can find somebody that loves to do what you hate to do, it's a great place to start delegating. That's a really good point. I like that because we have to walk into the things we're afraid of and we have to learn how to combat that and find people who can bring that greatness out of us with your book coming out in November. Tell me a little bit about how that launch is coming up and that excitement and that energy. Like, What's that feeling like, this new path that you're on as an author now? So I've had most of the book completed for a long time now. And it was always this idea, like I struggled with this, I think two things. Number one, perfectionism. And I'm consistently learning. And so I'm finding new things that I want to to include in my book. And I'm always updating my processes. And so I'm like, well, the book's not done. The book's not done. The book's not done. But I realized eventually, and I've 
I've probably even said this a thousand times that done is better than perfect. And what I have written down, even if it's 80% of my best effort, it's better than what else is out there because there are no strategies for implementing more from the books you're reading, effective note-taking, effective retention strategies. Like that doesn't exist, unfortunately, in this space. So I just realized at one point that I need to toss the perfectionism out the window and that what I have today is infinitely more valuable than what I had access to 10 years ago when I first started my reading journey. So that was number one. And then I think with imposter syndrome, now here I am, I'm 29 years old. Uh, Am I old enough to write a book? Am I successful enough to write a book? But I was, again, I was reminded of this idea that you only need to be one or two steps ahead of the person you're trying to serve in order to be of value to them. And so who am I trying to serve? People who know there's a difference between where they are and where they want to be. And they're already reading these personal development books to try to close that gap. And I can step in and help that process happen faster with the strategies that I've outlined in my book. I, I've been there before too, because I had a mentor when I was earlier in my sales career, I was like selling at like gas stations, like car wax. My mentor was like, Scott, you have to achieve something big if you want to write a book. And I was like, I don't think that's true. I think if, like you said, if you're two steps ahead of somebody else that you're trying to serve, you can help that person. You know, I think credibility is important, you know, when it comes to publications, but do you think a lot of those people they get carried away with that idea or is a, a battle sometimes with themselves? Yeah, it's definitely a battle. I mean, you know, I've, I was constantly reminded throughout my process from people who are supporting me, like, Nick, you are credible enough. You've built a business. It's growing. You're serving hundreds of authors a year. And here's the other thing too. Like I've read and implemented hundreds and hundreds of books. I've read over 500 books, some of them five or 10 times. So I've read my fair share more than most people, not as many as others. Like Tony Robbins, for instance, I think like you mentioned him before, but I think he said he read like 3000 books in the first five years of his personal he, development. He journey, did. Yeah. Right around 3000. That's, that's true. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Like what a wealth of knowledge can do for you, just reading and learning and you know, that growth and that mindset. Cause if you're not learning every day and you're not growing as a person, it's like going to the gym and working out like atomic habits changed my life. That was a book this year that it's really, a it's a great book with James Clear and talks about, I think chapter six about how a guy went into a gym and would come pick up weights and then would drop them and go home. And he lost a hundred pounds in a year from the art of showing up, you know, and learning that. And I think that's the problem with society nowadays. We don't do in our business, in our career, our relationships, all that comes together with the art of showing up. And that was one book that helped me drop like 65 pounds this year. You know, yeah, it was, it was, it was a crazy story. So I can definitely connect with, you know, that book, um, with myself and my own journey, which was powerful. So yeah, Atomic Habits is a great book. I've, (laughs) it's sold over 10 million copies in the first handful of years. I mean, it's one of the best selling personal development books of all time. So yeah, fantastic book. And, and here's the thing, like, yeah, I'm 29 years old. And and this is something that also helped me overcome this, but Mm. These books condense decades of other people's lived experience into days of reading. And so let's just say I've read 500 books and the average book is condensing 30 or 40 years of wisdom into its pages. I'm thousands of years old. You know what I mean? Like I'm leveraging all of, all of these failures and these obstacles and these solutions that other people have highlighted for me. Personal experience is a great teacher. Failure, your own personal failure. It's a great teacher. But other people's failures 
when you can read about them from the comfort of your own home without experiencing all of the fear and anxiety that they had to, mm-hmm. you know, that's also a great teacher. So I try to leverage a little bit of both. And that's the thing for thousands of years, we've been writing stories and, you know, legends and folk, you know, stories and like just keeping those ideologies and those stories to continue. It's, I think it's what keeps humans alive. You know, that passion or whatever that's poetry, whatever that is to you. I think writing and writing stories, it, it gives us a, a reason to live more and gives us more purpose in our life. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, billions of people have lived before us. Millions of them have written books mm-hmm. and thousands of those books are probably useful at any given time to something that every person is dealing with, you know, a problem. A book can help you overcome a problem or develop a skill set, especially in the world of personal development. And that's, you know, that's kind of my focus. And so, yeah, I I mean, listen, I believe in the power of the page and the power of personal development. That's for sure. The power of the page and the power of personal. I love that. That's good. Do you think Audible, so like Amazon Audibles, I I listen to those kind of like podcasts, like when you were first starting out listening to podcasts and, you know, read 500 books, do you think people are just don't have the attention span to read? You know, you know, a three, four hundred page, you know, personal development book, or just go listen to an audible while they're cooking or driving and just finishing when they get off work. It's a great question. Maybe I'll ruffle Russell, ruffle some feathers with my response here. I'll start by saying this. I probably listen to 30 books a year. So I am an audible mm. user. They sponsor our podcast. Don't cancel the sponsorship. I love you, Audible. But reading a physical paper book is more valuable. And so for anybody that's watching now or, you know, anybody that watches this later that says, I'm not much of a reader, I can't read books, answer this. If I paid you $10,000 to read a book by the end of the month, do you think you could do it? I'd get it done. And those same people are like, yeah, I could read 10, you know? Depending on how many pages, I'd get it done in a week. So Yeah. (laughs) It's not a question of whether or not you can read a physical paper book, but it's a question of whether or not you value it enough to prioritize it. And so- you know, I've already given some some metaphors for why I think these books are of value. They mm-hmm. condense decades into days. You know, you can take action and overcome obstacles, solve pains, develop skill sets. Here's some of my favorite ways to get more reading time into my calendar. The, this math is kind of impressive too. So if you read for 15 minutes in the morning and 15 minutes in the evening, that's 30 minutes a day. For a beginning reader, maybe that's 20 pages. You do that five days a week, that's 100 pages a week. So many of these books are only about 200 pages nowadays. So that's a book every two weeks. That's 26 books by replacing a little bit of Instagram in the morning and a little bit of Netflix in the evening with something more productive, You know, serving your future self, reading a personal development book. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I do it. It's slow. It's systematic. It's the right step in the right direction over a long period of time leads to a beautiful outcome. I like a better life. I I do like that because like, you know, I cut Netflix video games out all this past year and just stopped going to bars for like seven months. And I got so focused, but I could be reading more. That's something that I could, so I will call myself out on my own podcast. I, I, I could be reading more. I've done more like audibles. I know (laughs) I, I, you know, I've read a lot of personal development books, not as much as you have, but I've been, I've been in like fiction. Do you ever like try to read something else besides personal development, like history, fiction, or just I definitely do. I'm I'm in a stage of my life where I'm finding 
more value and as a result, more joy actually from nonfiction. But I think, you know, I kind of make this estimate, you never know, but I think maybe like 10 years from now, once I've dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's as far as the goals go, I'll probably transition heavily into fiction. I mean, I can get lost in a great Netflix series, so I don't see why I couldn't get lost in a great fiction series of physical books as well. Is there any like documentaries you watch or like in your free time or anything on Netflix that you watch? Yeah, there are tons of things. My wife, so I just got married earlier this year Congrats. in May. Thank you. Yeah, she's she'd admit this if she was up here. She loves sitting in front of the TV. So we watch all sorts of stuff. Plenty of docu-series, murder mystery type stuff, yeah. plenty of shows. We just, I'll admit it, we just rewatched all of Game of Thrones over the last like three months or however long it took us. So yeah, we, we and we watch a lot of football too. I love watching sports. What's your team? So, What's your team if you had a... Yeah, born and raised in the Boston, Massachusetts area. So I'm okay. a diehard Patriots fan. Okay. And but I'm an NFL fan. I don't watch a ton of college football. Where you are, you're probably an Ohio State guy, right? I am. Yeah, I'm gonna graduate. Yep. Uh, but yep. My, my team's a little different. People back home, you know, who listen to my show, have called me out. They're like, "How are you a Steelers fan, bro?" So I just I always just grew up around the Steelers. Nice win I, last night. Yeah, yeah I, I know. Dude. <laughs> it was pretty crazy. You know, TJ. Watt, you don't want to rely on two defensive touchdowns, but. Better no. than better than taking it out. I'm more worried about us running the ball and you know seeing what happens with our offensive coordinator. That's all I'll say. So yeah, <laughs> see where that goes. You know, but moving forward, Nick, I'm really excited about your journey, your new book coming out, and just everything you've been doing. I want to talk a little about your podcast. Tell me how that how your podcast got started, and because you started listening to podcasts at first, and how that I did. Generated. Yeah. So once I started posting book reviews on social media, you know, there was a point where some of my favorite authors, they were interacting with my content, sharing my book reviews, following the account. And at the time I had a business partner who's no longer involved in the day-to-day book thinkers business, but we both kind of had like a goal. Let's each start our own podcast and see who we can go out and get. And so I remember in the first couple of episodes, I was interviewing some of my favorite authors like Jim Quick, Russell Brunson, Bob Berg, who wrote the Go-Giver series, Evan Carmichael, those were all in the first five episodes. And it would just, it blew my mind that I could go get personally mentored by these people. So I, I decided to keep going after my favorite authors. And so like we talked about offline, I've been able to interview people like Grant Cardone, Patrick Bet David, Alex Hormozy, and there are so many other amazing names on that list. It would take a while to go through them all, but each and every one of those people on my podcast, they act as a personal mentor and I get to be the voice of my community and ask them follow-up questions about their book. So, you know, Ryan Holiday, Robert Green, like I get to have access and ask cool questions. And so it's been mind-blowing. I mean, I'm, I'm always humbled by how much I don't know. And I'm always impressed by these people. At the end of the day, though, they are just people. And I've also learned that it, nothing is as fancy as it seems. They're just good people writing good books, putting out good information, just trying to have a positive impact. Right. And I do love your podcast. It's really good. I just love the way you explain with your guests, the authors you have on definitely connected to your business. I just love the transparency of who you are because you're really transparent with everything you do. Your podcast was a top 2% show. You know, it's had over, it's reached over a million people so far or how many downloads you at now? Yeah, I don't know how many downloads we're at, but we do a million impressions a month on Instagram and wow. and some of our other social channels. So yeah, we're reaching a lot of people. That's really awesome. Who would be the, I guess, 
the coolest guest or the most inspirational guest you've had on? Because I know you've interviewed a lot of them. I didn't know if you had a favorite or one that really just uh, an, an interview that really inspired you. Yeah. I mean, you know, the most recent interview that really inspired me, we interviewed this guy, Lloyd Lobo. He wrote a book called From Grassroots to Greatness. And it's all about building a community, community led growth. And, you know, when I think of book thinkers in the community that we have today, there's sort of like this, there's this transfer of information where it goes from, or this transfer of community where it goes from just an audience, like passive followers to a more engaged follower base. Maybe mm-hmm. we could call that a community. And then if you can kind of arm the community with a set of beliefs, it can move into a movement. Well, that's pretty cool. Now, you, now you've now you got a movement like Rise of the Reader. Like I just want people to think personal development books are cool and use yeah. them to improve their lives. And then you know the next step kind of borders on cult or religion or whatever the case is. But he walks you through this step and how building a stronger community within your business, it can be very beneficial to you and the community, giving them more tools and resources and stuff. And so that was a really cool interview and shout out Lloyd. He's a man. I definitely have to check it out. So definitely I'm inspired. I think building community is so important nowadays. Cause I feel like, do you think people are in it for their own game sometimes? Or do you think online, you know, when you're in the right community, cause there's a guy I follow on YouTube, his name is Ralph Smart. He always says your tribe is your vibe. I always think if you have a really good vibe in your community, then you can thrive. You know, do you think that's Yeah, I think so too. I mean, people are out there with a bazillion different motivations. You know, as far as book thinkers is concerned, I genuinely believe that the right book at the right time can change somebody's life. And if they follow us, if they're in our community, and if they can get recommended a book to solve a problem or develop a skill set, and they get closer to who they want to be and end up living a life with less regret, like, that's what makes me happy and fulfilled. At the same time, there's some personal gain. Like I would, it would be foolish to ignore that, right? So the bigger my audience, the bigger guests I can have on my show, the more business I can do behind the scenes supporting authors. So I think there's always going to be a little bit of both. And you, you kind of want to keep the balance, I would say, more towards the impact side, less towards the profit, but they're both important. Do you feel like some people, like when they go to the library, like Barnes and Noble or like Books a Million, they're like, man, I'm going through a rough time in my life. I need to go to this personal development section, or it's like, just pick up this book and just start reading it. Do you think it's just action? It's not just thinking about it? Like when you're going through hard times? Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of both. I try to read with as much intention as possible. And so one of my favorite things to do, and and this is available to anybody that's watching your show, is play this like book matchmaking role, where instead of going out and finding a book by yourself, feel free to DM me on Instagram at BookThinkers and tell me about a problem that you're facing. Tell me about a skill that you want to develop. And I'll make a personalized book recommendation. Sometimes there's a little bit of back and forth. Sometimes it takes me a few days to respond, but I always will. And it's one of my favorite things to do, because I think if people do walk into a bookshop, with a specific intention, like I want to solve this very specific business issue I'm facing. They're more likely to achieve the goal rather than just walking in aimlessly and hoping that a book is going to change their life. I got you. Do you think, what are the biggest like authors, you know, becoming an author in the industry, how key are reviews like on Amazon or just publications or getting a publisher? Like how hard is that journey and all those coming together? 
Yeah, it's it's harder than I ever thought it was going to be. I mean, I've been working in this space for a long time. And like I said before, I think I thought I could just sit down and write a book and then boom, it took me three full years to make that happen. So yeah, it's a different process for everybody. Nowadays, publishers are looking for you to have an audience. So again, I think it's another reason to build a community, to create valuable content, to be of service to your target follower. And they want you to have that follower base prior to signing any type of book deal because it's easier to sell books if you have followers. And so, yeah, I think that's important. And self-publishing is becoming more and more popular for a good reason, though, because if you're traditionally published, that publisher owns the rights to your information, right? You sign away your intellectual property, and then it becomes harder to build other things off of your book, like keynotes, coaching, consulting, speaking. But a self-published author, nowadays, Amazon offers print-on-demand services, okay. and uh, you don't have to put any money up front. You can upload it and do it all yourself, and that's becoming really popular. Like I said, you don't have to have all of that rejection from the authors, you know, inserted into your, I mean, from the publishers inserted into your journey. And then as far as publishing a book goes, yeah, I mean, reviews are incredibly important because these, these Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million algorithms, they're all favoring books that people are buying and reviewing well. And so when somebody types reading strategy book into Amazon, if I if my book has more reviews than everybody else and it's well reviewed, then that's going to pop up. Your so, SEO, yeah, I think it's important. Search optimization, exactly. you get more found. So getting found as an author is the main thing nowadays. Do you think there's a lot more authors coming out now that they can self-publish, so that they're not giving their IP away? Or how is that? Yes, yes. I think it's just like you know we we kicked off the show talking about music, right? Mm -hmm. I think when. GarageBand and all of these other music creation platforms came out and platforms like Spotify made it easy for everybody to upload and distribute their music. A lot of garbage music went out, right? Because it wasn't being controlled anymore by the big music labels, but also some great music was released as a result of that as well. I think the same thing's happening in the book space, especially with ChatGPT and all of these sort of like AI yeah. book writing tools Anybody can put out a book, which means there's a lot of garbage being released, but it also gives a voice to some people that probably wouldn't have put a book out in the first place that have something super valuable to offer. Do you see a lot of authors writing similar books or how do you be original? I guess like, I guess to some people they're like, oh, they're copying him or that, or it's just like, how do you, how do you become an authentic writer at that point? It's a great question. You know, I struggled with that in the beginning of my process because I thought, am I just regurgitating what I've read from all these different books, mm -hmm. piecing it together in a unique way and calling it mine? And I had some friends tell me like, yeah, that's exactly how every single book is written. So when you think of somebody like Ryan Holiday, who's written about stoicism, all he's doing is repurposing ancient texts from Marcus Aurelius and Seneca and Epictetus and relating it to today, right? Mm -hmm. And now- it's not original information, but he is the thing that makes it original because it's his perspective on everything. And, and so I think that's what happens is like you try to be as authentic and as original as possible by being you and sharing you. I will say, though, that you don't just want to write the next leadership book because there are 10 million books on leadership. So right. when, when you ask a thousand people, what's your favorite leadership book, you're going to get over 100 different answers. John because Maxwell. 
<laughs> that's yeah, what John I think. Max. Yeah. yeah. But that's the thing is like, there's so many different books on leadership. It's, it, it's hard to stand out. How many books exist on how to retain and implement more from the other books you're reading? Yeah. I don't know. I haven't found any yet. So I'm hoping that there's some originality to, to my book, Raz of the Reader. Do you kind of see that with in the podcasting space? Not kind of like where I'm at. I'm more in like the podcast space like yourself. Just do you think there's a lot more competition now that it's coming a gold rush? A lot of people want to build a media company. They want to start their own podcast, build their own personal brand, share their voice, and maybe write a book you know, around that podcast? Like, how do you see that industry evolving? Yes, I think there's a ton of competition. I think it's harder today than it was 10 years ago, but I think it will be harder 10 years ago than it is today. So, you know, that ancient Chinese proverb that says the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. Start now. So yeah, I think there's still plenty of opportunity. I heard Tim Ferriss say once that, might get the numbers wrong, but he said something like, Less than 5% of traditional advertising spend has transferred into the podcast space. Over 95% of it is still on traditional advertising like newspaper, television, commercials, things like that, billboards. And so I think there's still so much opportunity for people to collect sponsorship and provide value to their audience. Have you done a, how, how much advertising have you done for book thinkers, like running paid ads uh, and especially with your book launch coming out in November? Is there going to be a lot of advertising involved with that as well or just organic? Yeah, almost, almost zero, which, which I'm, I'm learning is a mistake. One of the books I'm reading right now is hundred million dollar leads by Alex Hormozzi his brand new book. And Mm -hmm. I'm realizing there's so much opportunity with paid advertising that, that we're not paying attention to within my business or for my book. So We'll be uh, exploring it more, I think, as the years progress. With my book, I implemented all of the strategies that we offer uh, for our author clients. So over 100 podcasts, tons of book reviews, you know, a bunch of social media content. We just did uh, a bunch of short form video production. I'm starting a, a new page, essentially, where I'll be posting a bunch of content from my book and lessons and stuff like that to generate attention. And we, we have some pre-order campaigns where you can, and some giveaways and stuff. So we're definitely out there doing it, but a lot of it's organic. Mm-hmm. Not much of it is, is paid advertising yet. Yeah, I feel like with books, like it's word of mouth. Like once you get the momentum going, do you, is it just word of mouth afterwards once the book's released? Absolutely. Yeah. You can only force so many people to buy it through advertising. I think that a great book is actionable. And when people take action and their lives change and the people around them say, what the heck did you do to make that change? That's where you make a recommendation. So you mentioned Atomic Habits helped yeah. you lose 60 pounds. Every time somebody says, dude, you lost 60 pounds, what happened? You go, Atomic Habits, right? That's word of mouth advertising. Ah, subconsciously. Just, yes. It comes, <laughs> comes out of nowhere. It's like, oh yeah. it's I. You know, it's funny because like I was in Denver for podcast movement. Did you go to podcast movement? By chance, mm-hmm. I know. I don't know if you went. I, I was at the like the Denver airport, and I went to the this bookstore. I forget the name of it, but they had all these books in there. And I, I was like, one book that that really had changed my life this year, business wise, was "Burn the Boats" by Matt Higgins. That book really changed, and I saw it at the library, and I was like. I read that book and I saw it and it's like subconsciously, you know what I mean? Like it's just a with you. And then when I got home, I started reading it again. So I was like, you, you see things like your RES, but you're, you pick it back up again, you know? So, yeah, I, I haven't read that book yet. I do own a copy 
And yeah. he's on my podcast, I think, two weeks from now. So I have two weeks to read the book before we interview him. That's really exciting, man. That's awesome. Yeah, he, he his book is really amazing. Moving forward, anything exciting? I know your book is coming out, Rise of the Reader, Strategies for Mastering Your Reading Habits and Applying What You Learn is launching November 1st, 2023. And everybody can find that on Amazon, right? Yep. So it's available for pre-order right now on Amazon. Every single pre-order counts. I'm excited for this book. I think that it's going to help a lot of people take better action. One of my favorite quotes uh, that I've been reading recently, I've seen it a few times, is that action is the real measure of intelligence. So these books are not meant to be read and debated and thought about without action. Like action is where the magic happens. Mm-hmm. And I want to help people take better action. So if that sounds like a good fit for anybody, the book's available for pre-order now. We have a big 500 book giveaway going on right now that you yeah. can see on Instagram. And so for every time, for every pre-order, you get one vote essentially, or one entry into this giveaway. And yeah, it could be a good fit for somebody for the holidays too, right? It comes out in November, the holidays in December could be a good time to gift somebody a copy of a book that could change their life as well. All the books Nick's read, all, all his words of wisdom and knowledge from all the authors he connects with. And where could everybody find you on social media, Nick? Yeah, I think the best place is at book thinkers on Instagram. That's definitely our most vibrant community. Okay. Awesome. That's where you like to hang out. Definitely. IG has been really competitive for me lately. That's why I've like, I'm like on LinkedIn <laughs> about to be getting on TikTok. You on TikTok too? Or do you, do you play around? My TikTok? team is on TikTok. Yeah. I'm, I'm not on there because I'd get sucked into it and spend too much time on it. But I think my team reposts our content on TikTok, I think on a daily basis, they should okay, be at cool. least maybe I should check. Yeah. All these algorithms are always changing, man. I just, I, you know, you just got to keep up with it. So that's important. Now, my last question for you is what is your meaning of creativity? What is my meaning of creativity? Yeah. For me, creativity is a skill set. It's something that can be developed intentionally. When I was younger, I was not somebody who was very creative. I just followed orders. I never thought outside of the box. Then as I started to grow up a little bit, I became a little bit more rebellious. And I looked for new and innovative ways to make things happen, to improve my life, to do more of what I enjoyed and less of what I didn't, right? Seek pleasure, avoid pain. And so for me, I've, I've always been looking for opportunities with my RAS to be more creative, to exercise creativity. So for me, that comes through social media content. My book is an expression of creativity. Each video review we post, each podcast, they're all expressions of creativity. That's my unique voice. It's my way to t- you know help other people navigate this complex and crazy world. And uh, yeah, man, creativity is where it's at. I think all of us have have the ability to be creative and we can cultivate it. I love it. I, everybody always tells me something different on the show. So I just, I, I love the, that's awesome. Be different. There you go. All right, Nick, thank you for being a rock star on Ford creative today. And I'm excited for your new book coming out November 1st, rise of the reader strategies for mastering your reading habits and applying what you learn is launching November 1st, 2023. Excited, man. Yes. Thank you, man. I, pre- I appreciate the conversation and the good questions. Hey, you know, I try and you just got to keep being yourself. Authenticity always wins in this world. So yes, it does. All right. Thank you, Nick. Have a good one, man. Appreciate you, man. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning into this episode with Nick Hutchinson. I hope this episode has helped inspire you to be a better reader in your life and to find more creativity through his company, Book Thinkers, and also his new book, Rise of the Reader, launching November 1st, 2023. I'm excited for 
you know, his new book and new projects that are coming out and all the ways he's helping readers develop more skills and to grow as an individual and unlock their potential. Please head over to Apple Podcasts, write me a review, share with one friend how this episode has helped inspire you to find new ways of reading and to unleash your creativity. Nick had explained over podcasts. Please head over to scottvanko.com if you're interested in growing your voice and discovering your authenticity. At Vanko Media, your voice is our mission. And remember, guys, stay tuned, stay creative.